0: Welcome to The Loophole, a podcast exploring crime and criminal defense in America. This series is produced by Wampler Passanisi, one of the Midwest's leading criminal defense firms, with hosts Joe Passanisi and Talon Sumners-Schwartz. The Loophole covers gun laws, domestic violence, drugs, embezzlement, bribery, government overreach, and more. If you're into true crime, it doesn't get more real than this. Welcome to this episode of The Loophole.
1: So this is Joe Passanisi
2: and Taylan Sumners Schwartz.
1: Welcome to the Loophole Edition. Today we wanted to talk about some of the types of criminal defense defenses that we use in cases. Those can vary in, in the sense of alibi, self-defense, entrapment, innocence uh, as far as the elements of the crime, and lastly, insanity. These are some of the main defenses that we look at when we get involved in a criminal case.
0: Wampler and Passanisi is proud to support the fight for cardiovascular health by sponsoring Go Red for Women, presented by the American Heart Association. This signature initiative increases heart health awareness and serves as a catalyst to improve the lives of women globally. Learn more at goredforwomen.org.
2: So whenever we talk about innocence, uh, what you're looking at is basically whether or not the state or the federal government or even the city, if you're in municipal court, whether or not they can meet each element of the crime that you're charged with. So, for example, if you're charged with driving while intoxicated, they've got to prove that there was operation of the vehicle intoxication, which in Missouri can be a presumption of intoxication whenever your blood alcohol level is over a 0.08. And so if the state or the federal government, whoever is prosecuting the defendant, if they cannot meet and prove each element, then then you're going to be declared innocent, hypothetically.
1: It's important to know that sometimes mere presence at the scene of a crime is a defense because it's not like a wrestling match. If the particular crime that a person's charged with carries three elements and the government can prove two of those three elements but not that third element, it's not like a wrestling match where they win because they have the majority of the elements met. They have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt each and every element of that particular crime.
2: And it would be very rare for a court to actually declare someone innocent. What they would declare you is, or the defendant, is as not guilty, uh, stating that the state did not prove each element of the charge. It would be very rare for a court to say, that a defendant was actually innocent. Normally, it's going to be not guilty.
1: And, and oftentimes, uh, individuals that are facing crimes, they, they want somebody to declare their innocence. The reality is it just doesn't work that way in the process. An, another defense that is often uh, looked at is self-defense. Most people don't know that Missouri is a retreat state which means that you cannot become the aggressor in a situation if you have the ability to retreat from the scene. So, for instance, if you're in a room and there's one door out of that room and you are closest to the room, you cannot engage in aggressive behavior with a person that's on the opposite side from the door just because they've provoked you or they've upset you. You have a duty to leave the, the room and retreat, so to speak, and not engage. Self-defense is often confused where if somebody uh, believes that they were wronged, where they can then take action and, and hurt the other individual and then claim self-defense in that aspect. Another defense is is, uh, alibi. Alibi is one of those situations where you argue you weren't present. A lot of times, alibi defenses are used, for instance, if there's a burglary, meaning somebody is claiming that they didn't go in the house to commit the burglary and that it was other people that actually went in. Often, though, prosecutors or the government allege conspiracies where they bring everybody in that might have some knowledge or some behavior in the conspiracy to commit whatever crime there is. So alibi defenses become extremely difficult to prove. What is interesting about both self-defense and alibi, unlike the other defenses, even insanity has this aspect The defendant has to produce some evidence first to switch the burden back to the government. So if you're going to allege self-defense, if you're going to allege alibi or even insanity, you have to produce some evidence before that, that defense goes to the court or to the jury to be considered.
2: And so in a sense, the burden shifts to the defendant at that point to put their defense on um, and to prove by a preponderance of the evidence, which is a lower standard than beyond a reasonable doubt, but to prove uh, that their case or their defense would meet the elements of self-defense, alibi, or even insanity. And then the government just has to rebut that allegation or that defense. The last, well, the last two, I should say. So entrapment, that's a situation where you cannot be predisposed to committing the offense that you're accused of committing. So if you schedule a drug deal and you've set it up and then all of a sudden it turns out that the person you're trying to deal drugs to turns out to be a law enforcement officer well, you were already going to sell the drugs. They didn't make you sell sell the drugs. It's a little bit different if law enforcement reaches out to you first and then puts you in the situation where you're there. But even then, if you're buying drugs from law enforcement and your defense is, well, I didn't know that it was law enforcement, then that makes it a lot more difficult. So you have to prove that you were not going to commit the act but for the government's involvement.
1: A lot of times, especially in Missouri, individuals confuse that entrapment defense, meaning whether you've got law enforcement undercover, oftentimes in the area of of pornography, law enforcement uh, pretends to be underage minors and engage individuals via the internet, pretending to be somebody they're not. And, and individuals are, are are caught up in it. And, and as Talon was indicating, it, we look to the what the predisposition of the person was, not the acts of government. Now, there are other jurisdictions that look at what the government does to help facilitate, but in Missouri, we are a state where they look at what your predisposition is. Lastly, insanity. That is probably one of the most misconceived defenses in the sense of what the public views based on watching TV shows. Everybody thinks that when somebody commits a crime that their defense is actually insanity. In reality, the insanity or diminished capacity is used less than 1% of the time out of all defenses. The, the perception though is it's used all the time. And so when you when you have a mental health defense, uh, it is one of the most difficult uh, defenses to, to raise because everybody knows and recognizes just from watching TV, we have all of these medicines out there to help treat mental illness But when it comes to walking in a courtroom, the last thing anybody wants to do is let a mental health defense give a a suspect or a defendant the opportunity to walk free.
2: And so in Missouri, the way that the statute reads for someone to try to raise the defense of not guilty by reason of insanity uh, the defendant would have to prove that at the time that they committed the act, that as a result of a mental disease or defect, they were incapable of knowing and appreciating the nature, quality or wrongfulness of such person's act. And so you have to prove that there was some sort of mental disease that the person was suffering from that prevented them from being capable of actually having a rational thought and knowing and appreciating the quality of what they were doing and whether or not what they were doing was wrong.
1: In a sense, the public thinks that when a person raises the defense of insanity, they're just trying to get off in reality It is a very rare defense strategy that is used, and even when it is used, it often fails a majority of the time. It is a very, very rare situation that a person under either diminished capacity or insanity in Missouri is successful with that defense. Recently, we actually used this uh, defense in a a high-profile murder case here in Greene County. The underlining facts were that an individual who suffered for many, many years uh, differing episodes of schizophrenia on one particular evening uh, brutally and horrifically stabbed uh, a, a colleague, a former colleague, professor of his, at the university in front of his wife. And The state's case was that he was intoxicated, angry, and basically took it out on the uh, MSU professor. In reality, uh, this individual was suffering from uh, schizophrenia that had manifested itself in just a total loss of reality. And This case was a very high-profile case, not only locally and in the state, but received national attention because the insanity defense is very rarely used, much less successful.
2: And one of the things that Joe has talked about, which can kind of come into play with the insanity defense while you're awaiting trial as a defendant, is diminished capacity. And so what diminished capacity takes into account is whether or not you can understand the charges against you if you're the defendant, and then whether or not you can help aid your counsel. And so in the, in the case that Joe just talked about, uh, one of the issues in the case that allowed it to take a while to actually go to trial was the fact that the defendant had actually uh, decompensated while he was in the jail and was unable to understand the legal proceedings or aid his counsel going forward. And so he actually had to be placed in the department of mental health, which is where they will place individuals. And then they try to, uh, restore their competency to allow the trial to move forward. Uh, because, as sort of a public interest aspect, you don't want people getting convicted or being punished for things that they can't understand whenever they have a right to counsel and a right not to incriminate themselves.
1: It's quite amazing to know that the general public, as well as we we see it every day, recognizes that individuals suffer from severe mental health issues we see it in the homeless population we see it in our military veterans that come back from serving we see it from individuals that have extensive substance abuse issues the the problem becomes when using that defense as an explanation for the the commission of a crime is where the rub comes in. Uh, people think that uh, there's no such thing as mental health, especially when it comes to a defense for a crime. But yet these are the same individuals that recognize people suffer from mental health every day. And, and so as a society, you you're, you're, you see it, Everywhere you are, especially in our area, we see it at intersections. We see it with the military uh, members that come home. We see it in substance abuse as a way of self-medicating for the underlying mental health issue. What complicated this case was in Missouri, we have a law that says that you cannot drink or use substances and then commit a crime they called it the voluntary intoxication, which is a very, very important statute because uh, if you use substances or alcohol and you then commit a crime, you then can't say, well, I didn't know because I, I didn't have the mental state to commit that particular crime. And that issue along with the mental health issue is what complicated this case here in uh, Greene County. And as Talon said, we had the uh, aspect where, while in custody, the the defendant decompensated so badly that he had to be sent to the Department of Mental Health to be restored. And then after he was restored, uh, then it became an issue of keeping him restored through medication, uh, constant monitoring in order to have the trial take place and in this trial there was over i would say almost 20 witnesses that testified including experts from the state as well as lay witnesses and law enforcement from the scene most people think that if a person uses what we call the ngri plea the not guilty by reason of insanity defense that if they're found not guilty based on insanity, they just walk out of the courtroom. The reality is, is they don't. They, they go to a mental hospital and they, they, they serve their time, so to speak, in the mental hospital. And then there is an elaborate process before they're released from the mental hospital that actually goes back through the court system uh, in the jurisdiction which declared him or her NGRI.
2: And one of the things that we hope to do on this podcast is to actually bring some of the top mental health experts in Missouri as well as in the nation to assist in explaining what goes into a into an insanity evaluation.
1: The the concept of various strategies when it comes to the defense of an individual when they're charged with a crime. A lot of times we not only look at the defenses that we have brought up today, but we're looking at mitigators, explanations in the defense for what is an appropriate punishment for what the person is charged. And one of the great things about our criminal justice system compared to those all over the world is In our system, our focus as defense lawyers are to to bring up the individual characteristics and suggest to the court uh, appropriate uh, sentences based on mitigators that may be present.
0: Thank you for joining this episode of The Loophole. Join us next time as we explore current legal issues and cases and discuss what goes on behind the scenes. We encourage listeners to visit entrapped.com where you'll find our library of blogs on criminal defense along with episodes of The Loophole.